Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Goldfish Village podcast. Uh, today we have a special guest. I'm your host, Joshua Mercer, founder of Goldfish Village, also a realtor with Chicago Premier Real Estate. Today we got a special guest. We got a CPA, the money man, the guy that keeps you out of trouble. He's uh, a certified public accountant in Illinois, author, also a, uh, a, a published author. He published uh, the real estate broker's Little Black Textbook, which is perfect for today's show. This is Jared Rogers, CPA. Um, you can uh, reach him at www.wilsonrogersnod.net. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. Man, man. <laughs> Jared, so, man, a burning question everybody wants to know, man. How can a, how can a billionaire like Donald Trump Pay $750 over like a course of five years. You got billions coming in and only $750 going out to the government. Yeah, like like I like I always tell everybody, don't believe the hype. <laughs> um, uh, I try and try and stay out of the, the, the political fray and things like that. You know, uh somebody uh who who will remain nameless has been a little bit elusive with regards to uh their finances. So we don't know if it was 758 or 758,000, but I do think that, um, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things that we do speculate with regards to that particular situation. Um, one of the things that people, so before he was president, Donald Trump was a, um, a real estate individual. Almost everybody knows that. Everybody remembers uh, you know, his, uh, his TV show, The Apprentice, uh, getting in and out of the, the helicopter, you know, flying around New York City. And, um, like I said, he was a real estate magnate. And one of the things that people often forget too was that he owned a significant portfolio of um, casinos. So he had a bunch of stuff that I believe was out in uh, Jersey. Um, and one of which was the uh, Taj Mahal. Well, the thing is, is that the tax code is written in such a way that it rewards certain behaviors. Um, so the thing is, is that legislature you know, your congressmen, your senators, uh, or women, <laughs> will put things in the code in order to incentivize certain things. So one of the things that we all know is that, you know, if you own a home, you are allowed to deduct mortgage interest. Why is that? It's because the, the, the government wants to incentivize home ownership. So the more people who say, hey, I can get a tax rate for doing this, the more people who will want to do it. Well, the Internal Revenue Code, which is thousands of thousands of pages thick, also allows a write-off if you have a business and you have a loss. So unbeknownst to most people, uh, Donald Trump and the um, Taj Mahal deal, I can't remember what decade it was. It may have been late 90s, early 2000s, went belly up. And he lost something to the tune of maybe a billion dollars or a billion plus wow. dollars. Well, when you lose that much type of money and it creates what is known as a net operating loss. So his business had a net operating loss. And under the old rules, it used to be that you could carry it back X amount of years and then you could carry it forward 20 years. So you lose a billion dollars, you have income years in the future, you got an NOL that you can burn it off with, then, hey, you know, it looks like you pay zero taxes on the, on the tax return. Um, my company um, had actually had a couple of NOLs where, you know, we just had years that we weren't profitable. What's the NOL? So like I said, net operating loss. Okay. So Basically, think of it as, you know, you had a bunch of income, you had a bunch of expenses, and you lost more than you took in. 
Well, like I said, the Taj Mahal deal generated a billion dollars in oil. So it's going to take a lot of years to kind of like let that burn off because it's on your tax return. So every year you file a tax return, you get to burn off a piece of that loss against wow. your income. So like I said, when people will sometimes ask me, they're like, hey, I want you to I want you to do like 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 that guy did. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, don't believe it. I'm going to say it don't take a, a genius to lose a billion dollars. Actually, it takes somebody less than that. But I'm not I'm not commenting. Um, but outside of that, there are certain advantages of owning real estate that I, once again, the internal revenue code does give you certain deductions. So it does allow people to, you know, um, write things off and, you know, lessen their tax liability. But I would often say, because, you know, tax is what I do. I've been doing this for many, many years is that people, people who tend to be wealthy, um, with regards to you know their their particular situation, they're just they're very well versed with with regards to the tax code, or and it may not be them themselves. You know they have high priced you know accountants and lawyers to to do the work for them, and it's just it's really about being knowledgeable about what you can deduct, and then you know utilizing those deductions. So what what are some things that can be uh, deducted to? lower my tax liability? Well, I mean, one of the things that, so as we talk specifically about real estate, mm -hmm. one of the things is, is that um, the Internal Revenue Code allows you to write off a thing called depreciation. So mm. I'm gonna try and keep it very, very, you know, non-technical, um, you know, but generally- Yeah, just, we can't give them all the sauce, man. Yeah, yeah, They, they gotta know, call I, you to get the specifics, specifics, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. That's 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 when you got to go a higher professional. But none, nonetheless, just know that basically if you purchase a building and you use it in a business activity. So if you're a landlord, you know, or if you um, let's say you had a warehouse that you were renting out, you know, a storage facility. OK, what happens is, is the Internal Revenue Code, the IRS will allow you to take a deduction for the thing called depreciation. And in its simplest form, all you basically have to say is an asset, a building is worth something, but it's only going to be worth something for so long, unless you know you repair it and you upkeep, you know, eventually it would be worth nothing. If you never did anything to the building, you know, the walls are going to come down, facade's going to crack, you know, all that good stuff. So it's called, a, there's a useful life, you know, and what happens is, is that the Internal Revenue Code allows you to take a deduction for what it believes is the useful life of your building. So if it is a residential building, meaning like, you know, one that you're renting out to tenants, you know, that useful life is 27.5 years. If it is a commercial building, that is 39 years. So you basically just take whatever the purchase price is of your building and divide it by either 27.5 or 39 years. And then what happens is, is on your tax return, you get to deduct that share, you know, each year as depreciation. Now, the thing about it is that it's not a real cash expense, you know, so if you're a landlord, you're paying for your property taxes, you're paying your mortgage. Well, maybe you might be paying a mortgage. You know, you're paying for utilities, you're paying for, you know, the landscaping guys, you're paying for the snow removal people. But depreciation is not real, you know, not from a dollar standpoint, but yet you are still allowed to claim a deduction for that. So depreciation is one of the advantages of owning real estate that, you know, say like a, a landlord or someone in business gets that a person who owns a home does not get on their tax return. The second thing is that the Internal Revenue Code has a very special deduction um, for real estate owners. And they are allowed to deduct up to $25,000 for 
per year in losses. Okay. So once again, we'll keep it real, real simple. Let's say you had $10,000 worth of rent. Okay. And your property taxes were $10,000. So at the end of the day, you just break even, right? But depreciation, let's say your depreciation, which once again is a phantom, phantom expense, not cash, is $5,000. So you had $10,000 worth of revenue, $10,000 worth of expense. So you had zero. But now you have $5,000 worth of depreciation, which the IRS allows you to deduct. You now have a $5,000 loss. That loss is allowed on your tax return and is allowed to go against other sources of income. So if you have a job, it can reduce that income. It goes against it. If you have um, stock gains, it goes against that. If you have interest, dividends, you know, let's just say you, maybe you had another activity. Maybe you have a, um, maybe you drive rideshare. Maybe you, um, you know, drive for Amazon. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you have a an ad agency. Something that shows something else that shows up on your tax return. Those losses are allowed to offset that income. So the two main things that you know benefit people from, on, at least from the tax standpoint, are that hmm. you deduct depreciation and they are allowed up to $25,000 worth of a special real estate loss. Now, as with all things tax, there's always an exception. The thing is, is that your income has to be below $150,000. Otherwise, you don't get the $25,000. It gets phased out the closer you get to that. But then there's another thing, once again, tax, if you are a real estate professional, so a broker, managing broker, somebody who deals within the real estate field and does over X amount of hours per service, usually 750 a year, if my memory serves me right, then your losses are not capped at the 25,000. They are unlimited. So all type of all type of little goodies going wow. on in the real estate world. <laughs> wow. And I'm, I'm glad I recently got my real estate license. So, I mean, do they, so if you have a real estate license and let's say you manage properties, but you also have a full-time job, do they weigh how much you spend on real estate versus your real-time, your, your other job, or does it just have to be that 750 hours? Well, it's, it's a combination of hours and then what else you have kind of like, you know, going on. The hours test is probably the most significant one. Um, and the t- <laughs> and hey kids, what I always tell people is I am a CPA, um, but that does not mean I keep it all in my head. <laughs> it just means I know where to go and research it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so um, I would say that it's it's mostly the hours the hours <laughs> test. You know? So I mean, if you think about it, an average uh, work year I believe is uh, two thousand eighty hours, so two zero eight zero, and they want you to do seven hundred fifty within your activity on that activity. Um, So for some people that can be really, really hard. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you only have like a two unit or a three unit and you know, everything is pretty much self-sufficient, it's staffed, getting up to 750 hours can be rough. But if you are a broker or a managing broker who also has a portfolio of properties and you know, you're doing a lot of the administrative work, then it can be fairly easy to get there. So when, when can writing off these losses, when can that become problematic? and come back to bite you? Um, generally speaking, I mean, it's not something that I see being a problem often. However, um, you do have to, you know, dot your I's and cross your T's. So if you, if, if you're, as it relates to real estate in particular, there were some rules that were passed um, 
not that long ago, not that long ago to me because I've been doing it for forever, but it's actually probably been about four or five years now called the repair regulations. And basically with those, they said, hey, if you're spending on a rental property and you make repairs, you know, certain things you can take the deduction in the year for the year and then certain things have to be depreciated over time, okay? So that's one area that they kind of like look at. So if you had significant amount of things running through the repair line that really should be capitalized, you know, that could kind of come, come back. Um, I've often seen where people who have a, um, they could be claiming the, uh, the professional designation and they are high income earners. The IRS knows that most people who are only allowed to get that $25,000 special deduction. And once again, that phases out at $150,000. So if I've got somebody making $300,000, $400,000 but they're claiming a rental loss, that can sometimes raise the flags of the IRS. Like, are you just claiming that you're a real estate professional just simply because you wanna get that loss? One of my clients actually, they were being audited while they were not my client. That's how they came to me. And they were saying, you know, hey, the IRS is, you know, asking us questions about this. And the IRS will be very specific. Little things that people don't think matter, they, they matter when you get to audit. So for example, they asked the wife, they said, well, what do you do? And she goes, oh, I manage the portfolios. They go, well, how come your title on the tax return is housewife? They're like, how come it's not, you know, real estate professional? How come it's not property manager? How come it's not broker? So the auditors, they have their ways of trying to like pin people down on certain things. You know, did you meet the hours of service? How much time did you spend? Do you have a log? Is it written? You know, because at the end of the day, a wise attorney once told me that he or she who has the most paper wins. Meaning when you're in court, the person who has the most evidence is the one that wins. It's the same thing with the IRS. The IRS wants receipts. They want log books. They want all this stuff. And if you can't prove it, they very simply just simply say disallowed and up goes your tax bill. So it, it sounds like it's safe to say that uh, an individual that's looking to make uh, a living in the real estate world, they probably need to come see you before, like w- the year before, you know, to strategize on their taxes versus coming to see you in February, March and April. Like, hey, this is what I got. <laughs> Yeah, what I like to tell people is, is that you, there, there's a bunch of people that you want to have on your team when you start a business, okay, whatever that business may be. Um, real estate, those that are in the real estate field, you know, there's a special team that you want to have. But anybody who's in business, you know, you should have, you know, an attorney on hand. You should have an accountant on hand. You should probably have, you know, some insurance professionals and a couple of other different people, you know, on hand to help guide you. And the thing is, is that you need to consult with each one individually and put the information together collectively to make a decision. I cannot tell you how many times that during tax time, something comes up and the response is, oh, I asked the attorney. And my response is, but did you ask me? And they say, no. I said, that's why we got an issue. Mm. Attorney, I know tax. <laughs> and even though tax is law, it's not the same. So you got to make sure that you got the perfect the perspective of all professionals when you're making a decision. It's not crucial that you know you getting into real estate, that you have an accountant lined up, you know, beforehand. That anytime that you're doing, you're gonna do something major, you know, you wanna kind of at least have done your research. Hey, the internet is 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 a is 
uh, an amazing place these days to get information and do research, at least to do your preliminary research. But yeah, if you're starting to do something, you're starting to get serious about it, then yeah, go and do your research too and find a professional who, you know, who can assist you, you know. You bring up a good thing in the internet, man. So I, I could easily go on the internet and just type in, like, what are things I could write off? You know, what are, what's depreciation? All of the things that we're talking about, ton of sources on YouTube as well. What's the benefit of having an individual like yourself versus me using a program like a Quicken or just doing it myself or, you know, going to uh, a local tax preparer? Right. There's... um. So what I often tell people is this, because I mean, yes, the world, I, I am not, I am not young, but nor do I consider myself old, but at the same point in time, the world has changed over, over, you know, the years. All right. And the thing is, is that yes, information is more readily available. However, there is something to be said, you know, for degrees and certifications and, you know, it, fine. Maybe you didn't go to school, you know, the school of hard knocks. I mean, knowledge is knowledge and learning is learning. Okay. So yes, you can research a ton of different things, but I've been in this field for 20 plus years. I've been across multiple areas of it, not only tax, but audit, general accounting, finance. I held multiple positions in corporate America before I started, you know, working on our own company. And, you know, yeah, I, I probably got more degrees and certifications than what's needed for me to do my job, so to speak, in the sense that, you know, in order for anybody to do taxes, you don't have to be regulated. You don't have to have a degree. There's no requirement. The only thing you have to do is register and have a, a certain number with the IRS called a P10, P-T-I-N. Okay. Outside of that, anybody can prepare taxes. All right. But the thing is, is that there's something to be said for, you know, all of the knowledge and the training um, me, myself, I am a CPA. Um, not only am I a CPA, meaning that I hold the credentials, so CPA, Certified Public Accountant, but I am also licensed, so I'm licensed by the state of Illinois, just like, you know, brokers are licensed by the state of Illinois. So I have to keep up my license. I have to do X amount of education every three years, 120 hours every three years to keep wow. current, keep my license current. You know, so there's all these different things that I have to do um, in order to maintain, you know, my knowledge and my skills. Um, I can tell you, I mean, there's been years and I mean, do literally mean years, not several years in some of my functions that I reviewed thousands of tax returns to make sure that they were accurate, make sure that they were prepared correctly. I can't tell you how many tax returns I've probably prepared myself over my career, you know? Um, and I, I deal with real estate, specifically. So I deal with people who are property owners. I deal with brokers, managing brokers, wholesalers, flippers, you know, you name it. Um, I've been in that, that's, you know, that sphere. So the advantage is if you do your, your research and you find somebody who does have that experience, they're going to know automatically like what to look for and what should be there, even when the client doesn't know. So for example, Anytime I'm dealing with a, uh, a landlord, okay, and I'm dealing with that property, there are certain things that I'm automatically going to ask about what should be on that, on that return. So do you, have, um, do you have insurance? Did you have mortgage interest that you paid? Did you pay property taxes? And I'll probably also, you know, make sure that the depreciation is there, whether it's calculated by us or we're inheriting it. Now, 
if you, some of those things you may not have, you may not have mortgage interest. You may have bought the property outright cash. If you did that, you may not have insurance, you know, because it's not bank, it's not financed by the bank. So you may say, hey, guess what? I'm just going to go out here. And I'm not going to have insurance on my property, but you're not going to get out of property taxes. There's no county, no jurisdiction out there that will not charge you property taxes. So just knowing that, hey, at a minimum, I should be looking for these things and make sure that my return has those things. It'll catch a lot of missed deductions, you know, several times. I can't tell you how many times somebody or someone, whether it was the taxpayer or the old preparer, we get a tax return and we look and we go, there's no depreciation on here. My next question is, how long did you own that building? Oh, I've had it for just the past five years. Well, what's stuck in my head? Depreciation on a rental property is 27.5 years. If you've only owned it for five years, then it's not fully depreciated. I should see that number. And if I don't, then I say, hey, let me, let me see the tax returns for the past few years. And if it was missed, then we make sure that it's included. Wow, the software is not going to tell you that. Software <laughs> will not tell you that, my friend. So, will, will software represent you in, in front of the IRS? Software itself will not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, comp the company that's selling the software might offer you some type of program or guarantee or assistance. But being fair, okay, even myself, I don't, uh, that's not a part of your tax return, okay? Our, our engagement letter says that very specifically that, you know, what you're paying for is you're paying for the preparation of the return, okay? Um, we explain it, we make sure it's accurate, et cetera. And there's this little line in there that reads, you know, the IRS may select any return for examination, AKA audit, all right? And we can make ourselves available for you <laughs> at an additional fee. <laughs> but, but it's good to, to have a, uh, you know, to have an, a, a CPA that has an office or that has a phone number, you know, because those, you know, when you call in the IRS and I've been through this before, mm -hmm. you know, you have long hold times, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, we, and, and see us practitioners, I mean, granted, COVID has really done a number on everybody's operations. The IRS, I tell people, the IRS is just like us. They're people, okay? They go to buildings and they work. It's not like those federal buildings are sitting in like some other land, okay? Like, so here in Chicago, you know, you go down to Dearborn, that's Dirksen. You know, that's the IRS's building. Well, if Illinois is on a shutdown, the, the IRS employees ain't going in either. They're working from home, you know? So it's just one of those things where, you know, um, but we have special lines that we can call in and we can get to them quicker. Um, and yeah, yeah, you know, they, they tend to treat us professionals different than they treat the taxpayers when they call. <laughs> um, I was going to say that. So like when, uh, when the IRS sees, you know, goes over somebody's taxes, like if it's audited, mm -hmm. do they take into consideration that maybe a CPA did it versus an individual or a tax preparer? Generally speaking, no, because funny, funny thing is, is that most of the time when there's an issue with a tax return, it's not a human that's pulling it. It's usually the IRS's computers. See, the thing is, is that people don't really kind of put this together, but there's over 140 million, 150 million tax returns filed, individual tax returns that are filed every single year, okay, from all of the people, you know, in the United States. You're not the only real estate investor. You're not the only broker, okay? So the IRS knows how many schedules of ease there are and they can look for things and they got algorithms and statistics and stuff. And when something doesn't look right, the computer flags it. And once the computer flags it, a set of human eyes go onto it. 
Now, when the human eyes are on it, that's when you got issues because <laughs> that's when the human's looking like, so how in the world did you actually spend like $10,000 in meals on a rental property? Like, I'm not understanding how you did that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Let's go and speak to you. Hey, Mr. Tax, Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayer, can, can we talk for a second? <laughs> Man, so, okay. So let's talk about, you know, expenses and, and how to track them. Um, I know that's important. How, how important, and we talk, we're not talking about having a two flat here. We're talking about, okay, let's say I got, you know, multiple buildings, maybe 16, 20 units plus. Okay. How important is, is bookkeeping throughout the year? And is that a service that you offer? Yeah, so just kind of backing up like what it is that we actually do. So um, my company, Wilson Rogers and Company, is a financial services you know, firm. So we offer services under three kind of you know, umbrellas, tax preparation for individuals and businesses, business ancillary services. That's like your bookkeeping, your payroll, your accounting, everything to run the back end of your, of your business. And then hopefully what most people never, ever have to come to me for, but unfortunately some do, which is representation before the IRS or the state because there's a balance, a tax balance that they cannot fully pay, okay? So yeah, so we do the bookkeeping, we do accounting, we do all of those good things. And just a, a word of advice to everybody out there, um, bookkeeping and your tax preparation are two separate things, okay? So if you bring your accountant a shoebox of receipts or a box or whatever, you're like, here's my stuff for, for my taxes, don't be surprised not all, but most of the good ones worth their salt. There'll be a charge for them doing your bookkeeping because you don't have any books. You got a box of receipts. We need something that summarizes what is your income? What is your expense by category? Okay. Um, so with regards to that, if you're small, you know, then yeah, it's not necessarily essential that you have bookkeeping. I mean, you can use a spreadsheet, you know, use something to just track your track what it is that you spend your money on. If you're bigger, you got two options, okay? The first is to use some software. You know, there's plenty of different accounting softwares out there now. The biggest one in the game, of course, is QuickBooks, but you know, you got Xero, you've got FreshBooks, you know, there, there's multiple different. Quicken is more of a money management type software, not necessarily an accounting software, but I've seen people use it, you know? So you can do it yourself, you know, and track all your expenses that, your income expenses that way. Or if you're really, really big, you hire a property management company, okay? And the property manager is the one that everything runs through them. They collect the rent, they hire the, the vendors, they hire the contractors, something goes wrong, they handle it, and then they bill you for it. So, you know, you got a, a, a sewer line break or whatever, they go ahead, they call the contractors, they send them out, they do the repair, they will potentially, you know, pay that contractor, um, or some are just going to act as the intermediary and say, hey, guess what? You know, we're adding it to your monthly, um, your monthly uh, charges, you know, so you need to pay us, you know, the thousand dollars that we pay to, you know, ABC sewer. You know? Hmm. So in, in your experience, uh, would you say real estate is more, has it been more of a vehicle for people to create wealth or maintain wealth or like, does it kind of depend? Well, there's three ways that you usually make money off of real estate, okay? So the, the first is appreciation. So you buy a property, hold it for several years, and then it increases in its value, and then you sell it, okay? So that's how you can make your money off of that. Um, the second way is that the property cash flows, okay? So that means that 
between the income or the revenue that you receive and the expenses that you pay, you're left with a profit. Okay. So people take that and they make their, their money off of that. So um, depreciation. Uh, so you can get it through appreciation. You can get it through cash flow. And then the second, the third way is through tax losses. So it may create a paper loss due to depreciation or something else that benefits you on the tax return. So therefore it's lowering your tax bill, which is you saving money, which is in an off kind of way, you actually making money, okay? So those are the three ways that people will often make their money in real estate. Um, what you choose and how you make your money in real estate is gonna depend on several different things. It can depend on, you know, which one do you want to do? Are you looking for straight appreciation? Are you looking for properties cash flow? Some people don't actually care that, you know, the property appreciates. You know, this is why lenders, when they evaluate deals on bigger buildings, they're less concerned with you who own the property. They're concerned with the finances of the building. How many units does it have? How much rent does it collect? What are the property taxes? Because on a, on a 50 unit building, they don't care that Jared owns the building because the building is going to do what it does, regardless of if I screw it up, really, you know. Um, so on a big property, you know, it's all about cash flow. But um, let's just say, you know, if you were looking for appreciation, um, what you get in terms of appreciation can be different depending on your your ethnicity. It can mm -hmm. be different depending on where you where you're able to purchase. <laughs> Um, your capital and your buying power or your leverage, your lendability. This is why credit scores and, and bankability all matter. Um, there's multiple things. And this is why within certain, you know, um, certain nationalities and, you know, ethnic groups, you know, because of policies that there's a reason why, you know, there's, there's HUD. <laughs> there's a reason why there's certain government agencies to make sure that people aren't, you know, being discriminated against or, you know, we know about redlining and practices like that, you know, um, you know, uh, showing, showing people certain properties, steering, you know, steering people into certain areas and away from other areas. Um, but the thing is that, you know, you, yeah, if you're looking for appreciation, certain people, you know, groups might have an advantage in terms of getting that appreciation, because if I'm buying in an area that I think is significantly depressed and is going to appreciate or is gentrifying, you know, Hey, in 10 years from now, you know, I might, I might be on a come up that we can't tell you how many areas in the city of Chicago that if you look back to like the 1980s blues brothers type movies and look at yeah. downtown Chicago and go back and look at them now Ferris Bueller, you know, driving around, like, I think it was like the train lines where they did the Ferrari jump, you know, yeah. you go down there now, man, those are all like condos. Right. <laughs> you know? so, so, Hey, it, it, you can make your money in real estate in many different ways. So those are all, you know, basically the, the common ways to, to build wealth in real estate. I remember back in 2018, man, this article came out with, with Prisker, the governor. He like put in all new toilets. Uh, so oh, he, he took could, them out. Oh, yeah, he, he took them out. Um, and he's a billionaire. That's why I asked that question. So about, you know, why would he? Well, is that a strategy? It's not a strategy that is going to be favorable, of course, and it's not something that I would necessarily necessarily recommend. But I mean, going back to the, what I said in the beginning, the, those that are wealthy know the tax code or they have attorneys or accountants that know the tax code. So what we're dealing with with that was a technicality on whether a property is quote unquote habitable or inhabitable. If it is not 
habitable, then therefore they cannot charge the same rate of property taxes. It's the same thing like if you own a home, okay? If you, if you own your home or you're the one that resides there, the uh, Cook County will give you a property tax exemption for being a homeowner. Same thing if you're a senior. If you're in your home and you are a senior, you get a senior tax exemption. But if you're a real estate investor and you got a rental property, you don't get either one of those. Okay. okay. The the thing is, is that, you know, there's, you got to know the code. You got to know what is available to you. And yeah, they knew, well, maybe not he himself, you know, but his attorneys certainly did knew that, Hey, if the toilets are not in the building, it's inhabitable. So guess what? You can't charge me, you know, $18,000 a year in property taxes. You can only charge me two. I don't know what the real numbers are. I'm just making Oh, wow. So, so basically you got to know the rules before you play the game. Hey and, man, don't, uh, don't don't show up. Don't show up dressed for uh, dressed up for basketball and you playing football. It's, it's not gonna go where it's not gonna go well. So what about you know a lot of, a lot of people always are, even my clients in insurance asking me uh, like they'll come to me and um they might be buying a two flat, mm-hmm. and they put their business in like an LLC or a trust and, and I I don't you know sometimes I'm like well you only got one property you know um. Is it worth setting up all of these type of legal protections when you got to pay all these fees for a property that's probably generating $300 a month? You know, what, what, what's the best way to set up a, uh, a business legally? There's multiple ways. I'm going to say with me, with me being on the tax side and, you know, you having the insurance side and, you know, my attorney friends, you know, being on the law side, I always tell people there are multiple ways to protect yourself from liability. Period. You know, the attorney may, I'm not going to be general, you know, I hate when people just make blanket statements, but the attorney may say, okay, you need to protect yourself from a legal standpoint, which means you need to do it from an entity or organizational standpoint. So yes, put your property in an LLC. Now to somebody who, you know, who (laughs) there's two sides to this, to somebody who makes, you know, $50,000, $100,000 a year, you know, you may say, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, why am I going to spend all these administrative fees to put in an LLC? I got to pay things to the Secretary of State every year, all this other stuff. You know, why do that? Um, Some people may say, well, it doesn't make sense. It makes, it it would make more sense for somebody who was a millionaire to do that because Mm -hmm. they have more to lose. You know, if something happens on their property and you get sued, you know, I want the protection of a uh, limited liability company. But somebody once also told me, well, who really has more to lose? The person who has $50,000 has more to lose because if you get sued and you lose, you're probably going to lose everything. The millionaire, they might be able to recover from that, but you, you might not. But on the flip side, I will tell people, you don't necessarily need to insure, you don't necessarily need to cover your liability through legal. You know this. I could just go and get a $3 million umbrella policy. And I can be covered for slip and fall, accident, you know, anything modestly major. I mean, realistically, what's the worst that's going to happen to somebody in a rental property? Okay, maybe they fall down, they, they, they hurt themselves, they break their back. Okay, there's some medical expenses, you know, you get sued for some pain and suffering. Okay, maybe the jury awards, you know, $250,000, $500,000. Okay, you know, so you might be able to cover it through insurance. So there's multiple ways that you can do it. You can do it through legal, you can do it through insurance. It's really just a matter of talk to your professionals. Your situation is unique to you. Talk to your professionals. Tell them what it is that you're concerned about. Because I've got high net worth individuals. Every piece of property they got is in the LLC. Right. You know, um, I've got some people who, you know, who uh, don't make as much. 
and they do it through insurance. Really just depends. Hmm. Now that's, that, that's good info. Uh, earlier you talked about uh, appreciation uh, a little bit. So with appreciation, if you sell a property it becomes, you know, capital gains. Uh, and I think it's a 1031 exchange. Can okay. you, can you talk about what capital gains are and then how that relates to a 1031 exchange? Got it. So real simple, everybody's heard of the concept buy low, sell high. All right. <laughs> yeah. Regardless, Tried and true, man. Regardless of what it is, it can be a stock, buy low, sell high. It can be sneakers, buy low, sell high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Real estate, buy low, sell high. So the differential between what you bought at and what you sold at, the IRS, Uncle Sam wants they cut, it's called capital gains. Okay. It can get really, really, you know, intricate. In particular, with rental real estate, it can get really, really complicated because the IRS doesn't ever really give you anything for free. Okay, they just simply delay when they when they want their money back. Okay, so we won't go into the whole depreciation thing. Talk to your professional if you're interested. But the one thing to know is that I tell people if you're interested, if you're considering selling or disposing of your property, you need to talk to the accountant before you do it. Okay, because nine times out of ten, there's going to be a, a gain. And you're like, how's it going to be a gain? I'm actually selling it for less than I actually bought it for. Well, that may not be true for the tax standpoint, because every year that they let you use depreciation, your property becomes worth less and less and less. So even theoretically, if you buy a property at $100,000 on the you know, December 31st, wow. one year, and you sell it one year later on the exact same year, uh, w- one year later, exact same amount that you bought it for, the IRS is like, you got a gain. And you're like, no, I don't. They're like, yeah, you do. The amount of depreciation that you took lowered the value of your property. So now you got a gain. You're like, well, what do I got to pay it at? Well, it can be, you know, short term. Well, real estate is usually, it's almost always long term, but they'll say, you know, there's certain rates that they have, you know, and some of them can be as high as 25%, you know? So it's like, Hey, I got a gain. I got to pay 25% on it, man. That's crazy. So the one thing is that there is another special little real estate thing out there called a 1031 exchange. In its simplest form, a 1031 exchange is when you are going to sell a property. Theoretically, it would be at a gain. There's another property that you are interested in buying. And you and the, the, the owners of these two properties agree that you're going to do a swap. Okay. So the property that you're selling, you're going to get to them. The property that they're selling, they're going to get to you. It has to happen within an X amount of days of, you know, one another. Can't be like three years later, okay? And there has to be what's known as a qualified intermediary involved. The money can't change hands directly. It's got to go through, you know, channels or whatever. But then what happens is, is if a 1031 exchange is executed properly, the gain that you had on your property or the disposal of your property is now rolled into the value of the future property and then that gets dealt with when that property gets sold so it's a it's a tax deferral strategy okay mm. strategies man is that something that you help your customers with your clients strategies no nah, no nah, nah. i just sit up here and just type on the computer no, i'm kidding uh, <laughs> yeah no so the, that's a good thing to know is that you know i tell people just like tax preparation and bookkeeping are not one and the same tax preparation tax planning and tax strategy are all three different things. Okay. So how often should I, I got real estate. How often should I be talking to you? 
Um, once I was a definitely, year, twice a year, monthly. I definitely or... say, you know, I mean, at default, you're going to end up speaking to him once a year because you got to file a tax return. Right. But I would say anytime that there is a major type of, you know, outlay of cash or you're thinking about doing an acquisition, um, things, anything that's major from a financial standpoint, you probably just want to run it by your accountant just to say, hey, you know, is there anything that I need to be worried about this? Because sometimes there can be the interpretation, oh, I'm going to be able to do this. Then you get to the tax time. It's like, no, you can't do that. It's like, why? Because the IRS says that we got to do it this way. But I would say, you know, definitely at a minimum of a year, um, maybe, you know, twice a year, once before. Well, I would say, you know, Jerry, mid- like, don't call me. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm like, at, the, at the, middle of the, the middle of the year is probably good. And then again, also before the end of the year. So like right, you know, around December is always a good time. Um, I was doing a uh, doing a video, a YouTube video on uh, year and tax moves. And that's one of the things, you know, after December 31st comes and goes, you know, there's nothing you can really do to save taxes on that particular year. It's got to be done before the 31st, you know, so, mm-hmm. so definitely, you know, hey, if you're thinking about, hey, I got something I need to do definitely before the end of the year, but, you know, maybe, you know, twice a year, you know, don't just don't, hopefully just don't show up around tax time. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a danger to like buying a property in cash? Because I, I see it kind of lessens your deductions. Well, I mean, if you buy a property in cash, I mean, yeah, you don't have any mortgage interest, you know, and then some people, like I said, some people choose it if they have the asset outright that they won't insure it. You know, you go, you go and get a mortgage no bank is going to let you not have, you know, property insurance, you know, mm-hmm. homeowners, you know homeowners insurance, hazard insurance, you know, any of it. Um, but if you, you know, you're just straight cash, you may say, well, now I don't have, you won't have a mortgage interest right off. You won't have, you know, the insurance right off potentially. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, you just got to take a holistic approach about what it is that you're trying to do. If you're trying to get a property cash flow, you know, Hey, then that's cool. I would say that, you know, just with anything, you know, real estate carries risk with it, just like any other activity. Okay. Um, if you diversification, a rule, a, a saying that was said to me a long time ago is one is the loneliest number. You never want to have one of anything. Okay? Yeah. One source of income, one job, one, you know, one of anything, one tenant, one major client, you know, cause it goes away as, as COVID-19 has proved to us. If that one thing goes away and then all of a sudden it's like, what am I going to do? You know? So you just got to make sure that you're looking at things um, being diverse matters. So where you're purchasing your properties, what your tenants are, you know, what the scale of your building is, you know, five unit, 10 unit, 20 unit, 30 unit, you know, retirement property, you know, something in Florida, something here, you know, whatever it may be. Diversification is always a good thing. If you end up being too single-minded or too narrow, you know, you can find yourself in a bad situation. Um, So, hey, when one market goes up, you know, uh, another market can be going down. Meaning like, you know, if if the commercial market, you know, is going down, you know, the residential market might be going up. What about, okay, in terms of like, what are some things I should look for in my accountant or tax preparer or CPA or tax professional? Mm-hmm. The first thing that I would say is you want to make sure that the person is somebody that you're going to like working with. Okay. Um, 
let's take all the credentials and all those things out, out of the way. You got to like working with your person, okay? Um, personalities matter a lot, all right? Because- But you ain't give me back no big return, so I don't like you now. Eh, yeah, but it's not always about that. <laughs> I'll say it's, it's sometimes it's about, you know- My man last about, year got me back 20 racks. I, yeah. I got back $200 with you. What's up? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I tell people all the time, I'm going to say, my, your sack situation is actually not my fault. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to say, I'm just the middle person between you and the IRS. All right. So I can't have two taxpayers that come in and both of them make $100,000 and one of them gets a refund of $7,000 and the other one owes eighteen. And you're like, well, how's the other person owe eighteen? Oh, because some of their friends told them to go exempt. There's not a lot that you can do when you ain't had zero, zero federal tax taken out your check. Mm-hmm. I can't solve that miracle. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? Um, but I mean, you want to find somebody that you can deal with, who's going to be good from a personality standpoint. You want to find somebody who's knowledgeable about your situation. Realistically, people don't come to me, you know, to tell them, no, they come to me so that I can give them assistance. So I, that's what I do. I tell people like, you know, Hey, you're better served by a different professional because I don't handle people with foreign sourced income. I don't have people that are earning income in uh, Abu Dhabi. (laughs) Okay. I deal with people who are here in the U S um, Luckily, I do deal with real estate. I deal with all of that. So I'm versed in that. If you were, you know, a cryptocurrency trader, probably need to go and speak to somebody else, you know. So you want to make sure that the person has experience with your situation, that they've seen your situation, because as we were talking about, you know, knowledge and experience, it's worth its weight in gold. It will, it will save you so much because somebody's going to be like, yeah, hey, wait, you didn't do this. Or, hey, oh, I know we can do this. Here's a real quick story. Person came, uh, person came to me, they'd had somebody else do their tax returns for, it was a family member, do their tax returns for a couple of years, okay? They were selling the property. The way that the person had done the returns basically would have caused them to end up owing on a disposal because they were selling the building about $17,000 but there was something that they missed, okay? And it wasn't something that was easy to fix. It really was easy for us to fix it, but I knew how it could be fixed. So we went through the protocols, filled out the paperwork. Their tax return was very, very thick that year because we had to send a bunch of other stuff into the IRS. They ended up owing $9,000. And it's because, so from 17 to nine, now you may say, eh, and they end up owing you eight, so it's basically breaking. Well, they, they ain't owing <laughs> me eight. I ain't charging them eight, you know. So now they they actually got to keep the real eight, but that's the thing, you know. The work that I do, I deal with people's real money. What I do mm-hmm. matters, you know what I'm saying? So for and she was a, she's an older retired, you know, individual. So for a, a retiree going to having a tax bill of seventeen thousand to having a tax bill of nine thousand dollars, you know, I felt like a champ, you know. But it's because I know what to look for. I knew, hey, there's a way that you can get around this. You know, we got to file this form, you know. Man, that's that's dope, man. So it's, it sounds like uh, you're a lifeline to a lot of your clients, man, throughout the year. Um, so I want to I want to do a little dive, man. Let's talk about your book for a second. Okay. Uh, the Real Estate Brokers Little Black Tax Book. Right. What? Why were you compelled to write this book? And then if somebody wants to pick it up, you know, what what can they expect to get out of it? Cool. I'm going to say, well, the Real Estate Brokers Little Black Tax Book was 
it's just that it is a book that is designed for real estate brokers, you know, so those that are in the profession of, you know, helping people, you know, buy and sell homes. Okay. Um, in Illinois and in various states, they call them various different things. You know, here in Illinois, it's either broker or managing broker. Most people will say, you know, in other states, you know, it's a broker or an agent, but you know, they're in business just like everybody else, you know, just like I'm in business doing taxes, you know, people are in business, you know, selling real estate. And the way that they earn their compensation is such that they don't necessarily have taxes taken out. When you go and work a job, you know, you get paid a W-2, you know, you ain't, yep, my salary is $100,000. How much money did you take home? I don't know, because Uncle Sam took they cut out my check, <laughs> you know. Um, but real estate brokers, they don't get paid like that. They earn their commission. So how much did you earn? I earned $100,000. Oh, okay. So how much taxes did you pay? I ain't pay no taxes yet. <laughs> yeah, well, Uncle Sam still wants those taxes. So when they get to the end of the year, people who are compensated as, you know, sole proprietors, self-employed, you know, get paid via 1099, you know, they can find themselves in a world of hurt. And that's how you wind up being on my third tier of being a tax debt client is because nobody told you about estimated taxes, quarterly taxes, any of those things. So because I have experience within the real estate realm, you know, and I know these different things. And I basically said, hey, you know, I'm going to put a book together that, you know, we can we can give to a broker that has most of the information that I would say is key for one to know, you know. So the book is broken down into three different sections. One, what the broker needs to know to save on their taxes. Two, how they can advise their clients, you know, people who are using them to buy and sell homes, how that person can save on taxes. And then three, what to do if they find themselves in tax trouble, okay? Um, when the IRS comes knocking, it can be a very scary kind of experience, okay? Especially not for if, you, though. Nah, I'm not saying not for me because, I mean, I deal with it day to day. But don't get me wrong, man. When those IRS letters show up, you know, in your mailbox, you can strike, strike the heart, <laughs> the, the fear in you. You'd be like, hold up. What do you yeah. want? <laughs> um, I didn't do anything wrong. And they was like, nah, we just wanted to tell you, you know, you, you, you forgot to send us a check for, you know, $89. Late. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's just black and white, and it's straight to the point. And they want their money like a week after, a week before they sent the letter to you. Well, that's that's the way that the letter reads. But see, even me myself, I know I'm like, what's what's the letter number? They're like, oh, CP five hundred four. I'm like, man, you got another thirty days. You good? You good? Don't worry about it. Because I know I know the sequences and things like that. But somebody picking up that book is going to learn how to save taxes. Okay whether they are a managing broker and there's sections in there where we do offer things for those who, you know, who are real estate investors. We talk about the 1031 exchange. We talk about tax savings tips. Like, you know, if you're a broker putting your kids on payroll, you know, uh, doing real work, of course. Um, you know, we talk about be models, you know, man, they could be models. Hey, 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 it's whatever works, you know, <laughs> just make sure you make sure you document it in case the IRS asks how many hours they worked in a year. Um, but you know, we talk about ways that you can save on taxes, you know, and like I said, real estate is something that it makes up a sizable percentage of our clientele. Um, these are all things that I've learned over years and years and years of like dealing with people in the industry. And I just said, Hey, you know what, let me go ahead and put that out there. So, you know, that's one, one of the, the three books that I've written, you know, but yeah, that's the real estate. Well, we got, you know, how, how to slash your taxes legally and ethically. Yeah. And so that makes me think of that saying, you know, uh, men lie, women lie, numbers don't, you know, uh, what's that book about? So 
obviously. So the real the real estate broker's little black tax book is real estate specific. How to slash your taxes legally and ethically is pretty much exactly what it says. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's there's lots of people who will be like, I can help you save on your taxes. I'm gonna say, yeah, but you might end up regretting it later on. So that book is filled with 111 ways that you can legally reduce your tax liability. It's broken out in a couple of different sections. You know, I love it, bro. You know, and uh, all, copy, all, of them, all of them, you can find them on Amazon. They have, if I they buy that book, them. is that tax deductible? If I buy it for my business, if I say if it's a if it's a if it's a training uh if it's a a training resource, then yes, I can't tell you how many reference guides I have sitting around here that I've paid for. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Any, before we leave, man, any any horror stories of clients? I know you shared a few, but anyone that sticks out? Um, no, I mean, it's weird. It's like when I deal with a person who owes tax debt, they, they'd be like, so I'm the worst one you've seen, right? I'm like, I don't categorize it that way because I've seen people who've owed, you know, $50,000. I've dealt with people who've owed $1.1 million. Okay. Horror the, stories of folks not trying to do it themselves and not trusting a professional. How about that? Oh, 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 oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen a couple of those. Um, usually there's not one that's like just sticks out like, oh, my goodness. Like the one that I was talking about, the, the lady who had her family member do it. That one would have been pretty costly. Um, there's a couple of the missing depreciation is is a big one because people sometimes well they don't know it you know and they're doing their 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 taxes via some type of you know software they forget to put in what the value of the asset is and the IRS has a rule that if you fail to claim depreciation two years in a row you can't just all of a sudden start doing it like you know in oh, year three wow. four or five tip, tip. so tip you know you 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 will be in trouble because That's- they'll come back on you um it's called going from an impermissible to a permissible method. But once again, you know, it's just the biggest things that I see is just, you know, misdepreciation, claiming, claim that one, claiming, claiming something that it was a repair where the IRS would say, no, that is something that should have been capitalized. I literally had somebody who put a property in service. So they did all of like the, the improvements to it, the rehab stuff to it and ran $40,000 worth of repair expenses through the return that year. I'm like, you do realize that like probably like $35,000 of this is supposed to be deducted over 27.5 years and you just oh. took it once. Oh, um, I'm glad you now, told me as, that. Now, as a professional, I'm obligated to tell you, you should probably change that tax return or amend it and fix it. I can't make anybody do anything. But if the IRS comes back on that, I'm going to say, you best believe that your tax bill is going up because they're going to disallow the expenses, which raises your taxable income which raises the tax, which means, no, nah, instead of you getting a refund of $2,000, you really owe us like seven. How, so how much liability do, does the accountant have when preparing somebody's taxes? I mean, let's be real. You know, you have liability from the standpoint that you know you're the professional. We carry uh, errors and emissions insurance with uh, insurance with our company which means that if any of our staff kind of, you know, mess up or whatever, and there's a result in, you know, loss or something like that, you know, the insurance will pick it up. But realistically, the most that somebody's really probably going to be on the hook for is, you know, maybe the tax preparation fee, you know, the taxes are the taxes. Like I don't owe your taxes, you know? So if I mess up, you know, you were going to owe the tax regardless of if I did it, you know? So if I mess it up and it's determined that you really were, would have owed $7,000 worth of tax, 
that's what the number really was. Like you said, numbers don't lie. Um, the fact that I didn't show that, that's an issue. But generally speaking, we're not, we're not on the hook for a lot of, you know, quote unquote, like liability. We, yeah, we can get sued. There's legal fees and things like that. But the one thing that everybody needs to know, even though we don't mail returns in that much, almost everything is electronic anymore. If you look on the bottom of your tax return, it's a statement right above the area where you would sign. It says, under penalties of perjury, I declare that, you know, you've reviewed the tax return that is true, accurate, correct, and blah, 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 blah. Hmm. I tell people this all the time. It don't make a difference. Who does your tax return? When the IRS sends a letter, they don't send it to me. They send it to the person whose tax return it is. And if you use a shady tax mm. preparer who is gone and in the wind mm. and ain't got no shop no more and the number ain't answered and the phone is hanging up. Name names. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey. Say, I, hey, you can look them up. Go to, the, go to the Department of Justice. There's tons of tax preparers every year that get, you know, disbarred and incriminated and mm. put sentenced to 18, 20 years in jail for doing, you know, shadiness, you know, all to try and help, you know, Save somebody a buck, so they say, you know, it's really so I can charge you, you know, $2,000, $3,000 worth of fees, you know, and claim I'm doing something. Man. But no, at the end of the day, the taxpayer is the one who's on the hook for the return, period. Doesn't make a difference who your professional is, okay? Always, that's why it's important for you to say, hey, are you knowledgeable? Do you offer a guarantee? Are you year round? Am I going to come back here and you not going to be here? We are all a year round service. You can find us every single working day of the week. Okay. Um, you know, so it's just, it's important to, to have somebody who you can trust, who's knowledgeable and who is available and who is there, you know, should, you know, you get a letter or something go wrong. Wow. Is it? And before we close out, this is like one of the myths that it's in our community, man, that if, mm -hmm. that is it bad to not, to owe money to the IRS. What does that mean? It can mean a couple of different things. From a wealth but... perspective and just from a, cause I remember the first time I owe money, I was on that other side. And that was right. when I kind of start opened up my agency. I was like, oh money, my tax person couldn't, this couldn't be done right. I remember right. talking to you like, oh, how'd I owe money? Like I'm used to getting the return back, right. <laughs> you know? And right. then you had to explain, like, no, nah, brother, that man, you, you made some money. <laughs> so right, go ahead right. and uh, talk about that. So let me, yeah, let me, let me kind of add a little bit of clarification for it. So real simple, the way the taxes work is you earn a certain amount of income, okay? The IRS taxes that amount of income, and from there, it's nothing but a math game. They say, how much money did you pay in? If you got a job, you haven't taxes taken out your check, you know? So they say, is that amount that you paid in above? What you owe in tax? Oh, I get a refund. Or is it below? No, you owe us. Okay. So that's real simple. It doesn't work that way on businesses. All right. So businesses, they're usually not. Okay. Large corporations. Yes. But you know, small mom and pop, anybody less than a million dollars, you know, things like that. They're not usually always paying into the system. So when you get to the end and you do that math, it's, oh, you owe X amount of tax. How much did you pay in? I ain't paying nothing. Okay, well, you just owe us. You owe us $5,000, $10,000, $17,000, whatever that may be. The adjustment that you get, you know, from going from the individual side to the business side, and as you make more money, you always want to make sure that you are paying the legal minimum that you are supposed to pay. Not a penny more, 
not a penny less, all right? You pay too much, you're giving money away to the government, all right? You pay less, they're going to come and lock you up. <laughs> so, so you want to make sure you pay what you are legally obligated to pay. But the thing is, is that, yeah, despite all the talk about, you know, Mr. So-and-so and how much he did or did not pay in taxes, there's no high net worth individual that I know that doesn't pay tax. None. They may be smart about the sources of income because different sources are taxed differently. So if you have like interest and dividends, that's taxed at a lower rate. If you have capital gains, that's taxed at a different rate. If you have just ordinary income, like, you know, business, you know, wage income, that's taxed at its rate. So when you find yourself, you know, at the end of the year, like, hey, yo, I owe money or whatever, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It does mean that, you know, you had a profit. And if you're in business, you shouldn't be doing it to not have a profit, okay? I often tell people all the time, because sometimes I get clients to come in and say, I want to pay as little bit of tax as I want. I don't want to pay no more than I really, I just want, I don't want to pay no taxes. Uncle Sam shouldn't get any of it, none of it, none of it. You know, and then I tell people, I said, my big, one of my biggest clients, all right, um, they're in the consulting space. In a bad year, does about a half a million dollars worth of revenue. In a good year, does about 2.5 million. I remember very vividly one year. It's not me. It's not me. With the, with the way <laughs> that consultant. <laughs> the, in one year, they had, um, because we, we, we are their finance resource, we do everything for them. In one year, I cut real checks. I wasn't signing them, but I cut them for him to sign. $750,000 of real money out of bank accounts going to the Internal Revenue Service and to the Illinois Department of Revenue. Wow. And he, used to joke, he used to joke about it. He goes, man, I guess we're paying for some more bombs to go and bomb, you know, such and such country, you know, because bombs ain't cheap. So I'm, I, I want mine autographed, you know. Oh, right. <laughs> but, um, but the point is, is that, you know, when you start making money, you start having success. Yeah, there's going to be a tax liability. At that point in time, it is crucial, 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 crucial that you do tax planning, meaning planning for what is going to come up and tax strategy. How can I employ and use various pieces of the Internal Revenue Code to get my taxes lower? You know, and there's tons of strategy. And guess what? Every somebody who prepares taxes may not know strategy. They may not know planning. So, you know, when you get into those realms, you need to up your, up your game and up the person in your team so that they can help you reduce your liability and get it as low as possible. Man, taxes are so important, man. Um, who knew taxes were synonymous with uh, wealth building? But, hey. uh, Jerry, man, thanks for coming on the show, man. If, I, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? If people want to get in touch with us, they can go to our website. That is www. That's Wilson Rogers. So it's W I L S O N R O G E R S is in Sam dot net N E T. Don't go to WilsonRogers.com. That's some Canadian manufacturer or something like that. We are dot net. Um, at the bottom of any of the pages that you wind up on, there's a customer uh, customer assistance uh, email. They can send us an email and we'll get it that way. Otherwise, you could always call our office, which is at 773-239-8850. That's 773-239-8850. We are year round. Um, and if we don't, you know, if we can't answer the phone, leave a voicemail, somebody will get back to you as soon as possible. That's what's up, man. Thanks for coming on. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. I'm Josh Mercer, founder of Goldfish Village. If you're looking for a realtor, hit me up. 
uh, Premier Chicago Real Estate, you can go to www.listwithmercer.com. Until next time.